Our lesson this morning is found in the 13th chapter of Matthew to begin with. Start with the first verse. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into his ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Jesus, in his travels around for the three and a half years that he walked the earth, took the very simple things around him to, uh, to show spiritual things. Whenever anybody brought up something, he took what they brought up and turned it around into a spiritual lesson. That's what it means to be spiritually minded. And so he taught, in some instances, a earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's what a parable is. So he said, this fellow went to sow some seeds by the wayside. Now, they didn't plant like we do with all the machinery that we have. They had a bag thrown over their shoulder and they took handfuls and just broadcast it around as they walked. That's the way they planted. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. You know, when you throw seeds out, I feed the birds, and as quickly as I put it out there, they come right away, and all different kinds of birds, and they eat them up as fast as they can. But sometimes they don't get them all and they wind up just laying on the ground. Pretty soon they become a little plant. And I have to take all the little plants away in order to, for them to feed again. But the birds come and eat them up quickly. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth and forthwith they sprang up because they had no deepness of earth. That's another kind of a place where seeds fall. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell unto good ground, and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Why do you talk this way in this kind of a story? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Who is you and who is them? Them is the unbelieving Jews that he was talking to, and you are the ones who believed on him and walked with him. He told them 
the intimate mysteries of the kingdom, but he told the hard-hearted and unbelieving Jews heavenly stories with earthly meanings. Or the other way around. For he says, For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. Now, a curious person is always interested in everything that's going on around about them. You know, that's how you uh, improve your mind. Adam Clark said, not every mind is uh, equally improvable. That's true. But you know how you improve your mind? You, you become alert to everything around you. Uh, some people live in such a, uh, a vacuum that they don't know hardly anything that's going on around about them. You ask them questions about various things, and they say, I don't know. I didn't either read it, or I didn't hear about it, or uh, I didn't know what was going on. But a healthy active mind will consider a lot of things. So he said, they see, they have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. Neither do they understand. Well, is it because they're just too dumb to understand, or is it because they don't want to? And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, or Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their eyes are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. He's talking now about these Jews who were full of religion, but that's all they had. They didn't want to hear anymore. They didn't want to improve their mind. They didn't want to improve their understanding. They didn't want to. See where the will comes in? I don't want to. So Jesus just told them what they were, dull minds and dull hearts. Never would be converted while they do that, live that way. But he said, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear, and have not heard them. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. Now he begins to explain the story. And so I'm going to take it up with Adam Clark, and add a little of his comments here on this very subject. So he says, the wicked one, when one heareth, this is the first ground, this is the first kind of person that the, the word of God falls on. He heareth the word of the kingdom, that is the preaching of the Bible, and he doesn't understand it. Then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart, that he, that he which receiveth seed by the wayside. Now the person who hears the gospel, or hears the preaching of the word of God, 
Here in this parable, Jesus is talking about four different kinds of people who hear the same thing. So all of us can find ourselves this morning in this lesson. Every one of us is in here to this morning. Let's see which one we are. The wicked one. Who is the wicked one? Well, the wicked one is the devil. The one who distresses and torments the soul, the adversary, the opposer of all people who are endeavoring to find God. He will oppose everyone who wants to seek after God. Because he resists men in all their purposes of amendment and to the utmost of his power opposes in order to frustrate the influences of divine grace upon the heart. When the word goes forth as the seed did on the ground, the devil comes and if he can find somebody that isn't paying attention and, and uh, isn't really interested in spiritual things or, or getting his soul right with God, he immediately comes and takes it out of their mind. And one says, I can't remember what went on. It isn't always that you can't remember. It's there's an adversary against every person whom God is trying to bring to himself. So, it is worthy of remark that the three evangelists had used each a different appellative of this mortal enemy of mankind, probably to show that the devil, with all of his powers and properties, opposes everything that tends to the salvation of the soul. He'll try to make you, and he will, make you forget what the Word of God or what the preacher said. So he catches it away, makes the utmost haste to pick up the good seed, lest it should take root in the heart. Sometimes people come to our meetings and maybe have never been to such a meeting before and we say things that they have never heard before. We preach things out of the Bible that are totally different than that is being taught in the churches of the world and therefore they feel like maybe this, this group is just a bunch of fanatical people who, who are teaching things that nobody else is and so they must be some kind of cult. Or they, uh, they hear things so different from what normal religious talk is that they say, how can that be? And the devil comes along and says, you're right, how can it be? And they don't come back. They give themselves one chance at listening to the word and don't come back. We've had a lot of people do that. And so someone gets up and says, Go to the church of your choice. I talked to a young lady this week and she says, I, I'm kind of looking for a church that um, will suit me. And I said, well, are you looking for a church or are you looking for the church? If you're looking for a church, you can find one. Like someone says, find the church of your choice. You can do that. But if you're looking for the church, I'll tell it to you. I'll show you where it is. She wasn't interested in looking for the church. Just a church where she could take her little boy to Sunday school and, and, um, and still live a godless life like she is. The wicked one comes and snatches it away. A careless, inattentive hearer is compared to the wayside. His heart is an open road 
where evil affections and foolish and hurtful desires continually pass and repass without either notice or restraint. A heart that, is, as someone has said, where Satan is, is the devil's thoroughfare. He just comes back and forth all the time. He said, uh, someone has said, a, a, uh, a heart that uh, has ingress, egress, regress, and progress, and all of it is the devil's. That kind of a heart is the first one we're talking about this morning. The other is, but he that receiveth seed, verse 20, into stony places, is he that is as a fit emblem of the man who, hearing the gospel, is affected with its beauty and excellency, and immediately receives it with joy, and is glad to hear what God has done to make men happy. We've had people like that, too. Oh, all of a sudden, we hear something different. Although it's different, it's true. So they say, well, that's wonderful if God has done that, and has said that he would do that, that's wonderful. I'll stick around and hear some more. <clears throat> Yet he hath not worked, verse 21, in himself, the soul is not deeply convinced of sin, of its guilt and depravity. The fallow ground is not properly proud up, nor the rock broken. When persecution ariseth, which he did not expect, he is soon stumbled. I thought that if I came to church, everything was going to be straightened out and everything was going to be beautiful and perfect. No, it isn't going to be like that. For you see, the whole world that we live in is against Christ. The churches are against Christ. Did you know that? I gave a tract to a, a lady that belongs to a denomination. I don't even know which one. And... Um, it was a very simple tract that talked about how Christ came into the world and how much He did and how wonderful He was. Uh, nothing really out of the ordinary uh, that anybody would be offended at. I gave her that tract and I've seen her now two or three times, maybe more, since that time and she hasn't spoken a word to me. She avoids talking to me, although before she was very congenial. Why is that? What did I do to offend her? All I did was give her something about Jesus. Was she offended at him? Yes. She's some kind of church member somewhere. There are three great forces in this country that are against Christianity. Did you know that? First of all, the politicians are anti-Christian. Don't expect any Christian ethic and coming out of them. In fact, when it comes to politics right now, we got as clear a choice as we've ever had between the two parties. But you know, it's an interesting, uh, the way the religions go, the way the churches go, that's the way the politics go. Uh, when uh, the Catholics were the Catholics and when the Protestants were the Protestants, the two pa parties were just as that, that way. When the Catholics and the Protestants began to come closer and closer together and agree on the whole thing, so did the politics come closer. But the only difference is there are a whole bunch of different Catholics and there was a whole bunch of different Protestants and they can't agree on anything together. But the Democrats agree and the Republicans agree and all the independents are trying to get in uh, through the side door. And uh, all of this uh, politics, and they say keep religion out of politics, you just can't do it. There's no such thing in the Constitution as a separation of church and state. That's a media term. The Constitution does not say the church and the state are separate. The church has its function to win the world to Christ, 
The state has its function to have an orderly society and punish wicked men. That's their function. And the state should not interfere with ours, and we should not interfere with theirs. Although we should vote because we're in a democratic society, and it is our right to vote, we should try to vote for the best possible people that are there, which will make the peace of the country and not corrupt it any more than it is. And so really, when we vote, it's a matter of the lesser of the two evils or the better of the two goods. And that's as much as we get involved in politics. But you see, politicians are anti-Christian. They don't make their decisions based upon the Word of God. The news media and the entertainment business, all anti-Christian. They make fun, they make light of Christianity in all of their movies and all of their talk. They never bring out the wonderful things that God is doing throughout the world. All they do is demean it. And the secular humanist school system. Mr. Mondale is a secular humanist. He's on their board. His whole family is involved in secular humanism. You know what the Supreme Court said about secular humanism? It's a religion. You know what the religion is? Man is his God. There's no such thing as God. Man is God. He's, he's the one that controls his destiny. That's what the basis for secular humanism. And Mr. Mondale is that kind of a person. So the matter is, do you want to vote for an atheist or do you want to vote for someone else who is sympathetic to Christian causes? Then you've got a choice, perfect choice. But you see, we need to realize that God is looking on all of this. And these three great forces that are against Christianity, I mean true Christianity, these are powerful forces. And on top of that, we have a church world that is opposed to true biblical Christianity. All they have a form of Christianity, and and ninety four percent of the people in this country believe in God, and it's not popular here to not to believe in God, but to believe in God and to know Him that's a whole different matter. So when persecution arises. He soon stumbled, he seeks some pretext to abandon both the doctrines and the followers of Christ. Having not felt his own sore and the plague of his own heart, he has not properly discovered that this salvation is the only remedy for his soul. You see, it's just a different, uh, it's not just a matter of church on Sunday morning, what we're talking about. Salvation affects the total being, the total life of a person. And that's every day from Sunday to Saturday and on, on throughout. See, it's the salvation of the soul that he's talking about. And it is the only remedy for the soul. You can join a church anywhere and never get saved. You can join all the churches and never be saved. But if you come to Christ and get his salvation, you will be added to the church. You don't have to join anything. I've been in the church of God for 30 years and nobody's asked me to join yet. Why? When did I join? When I got saved, I was added to it by God. No one had to add it to it. See, that's where we have a, uh, a loosely organized uh, uh, government uh, uh, in the church of God. He is the one that takes care of all of those matters, spiritual. Uh, we, are, we are to be a vessel 
that he may use to present to other people who are not saved that they can be saved. This is how God is saving the world. He said in the word somewhere in the New Testament, by the foolishness of preaching, he has ordained to save this wicked world. So that's what we're doing. Uh, we're endeavoring to take the word of God and preach it so that people might become enlightened to the true facts about Christianity and about Christ. But the person that's shallow in his, his, his experience, he has no motive in his heart strong enough to counteract the outward scandal of the cross. So he endureth only for a time in which there is no difficulty to encounter and no cross to bear. Won't you just let me have religion, Lord, and not want me to commit everything to you? You see, we live in a country that doesn't want to commit to anything. No commitment. I want to be free to do what I want to whenever I want to. Oh, we have wonderful freedoms in this country, but do you see how the freedoms can be corrupted? I want my rights. That's what's going on today. Give me my rights. The unions want rights. The, the uh, ethnic groups want rights. Uh, everybody wants their rights. I don't hear much about responsibility, but I hear a lot about rights. Give me my rights. Didn't the young man who came to his father and said, Give me what's coming to me. I want to go out in the world. The prodigal son. That's what he did. Give me. And his father had to give it to him because that's the law, the way the law was back there. So his father gave him all that was his part and he went out and what did he do? Squandered it away and then he was in poverty. Why can't I just have religion on Sunday morning and not have it affect my life the way you're talking about? Well, you, can't, you can have religion but you can't, you can't have salvation that way. No cross to bear, no, no difficulty to encounter, just a nice pleasant bunch of people calling themselves church. Well, I'm here to tell you that that's not the way it is. Verse 22, He also that received seed among the thorns, and land plowed, the land was plowed but not properly cleared and weeded. It is he represents that person who heareth the word, but the cares, rather the anxiety, the whole system of anxious, carking cares, uh, distracts the mind or divides the mind. And as the poet said, so many cares hinder me which draw my mind different ways. The deceitfulness of riches which promise peace and pleasure but can never give them. What do they do? They choke the word or together choke the word. Meaning that these grow up together with the word and overtop and choke them. Now this, this is a person who, uh, who receives it and stays with the church. But... The cares of the world, the job and the security and, and uh, making a living and taking care of uh, things about this natural life, those things become more important than the spiritual end of it. And so it chokes out the spiritual experience. Oh, I got to work and, and I got to take care of this and I got to take care of that and and I got to keep doing this and keep doing that instead of being like the lady I heard about and I thought this was very good. She was in her 50s or so, but she had a weather-beaten face, worked outside a lot because she was a farmer or something like that. But she had radiant, a radiant look about her of health. 
and someone inquired and said, how come you, you look so healthy? What's, what's the secret? Uh, you have to work so hard and, and, and you've got all these cares. Uh, how do you handle it? And she said, well, when I work, I work hard. When I sit, I sit easy. And when I begin to worry, I go to sleep. <laughs> how about that? That's pretty good philosophy, isn't it? She thinks about worrying and so she goes to sleep. Worry, the Bible says, is anxious, anxiety, or care. Uh, Jesus said to Martha, Martha, you're always worried about taking care of the house and everything. But you see Mary over here, she's listening to the Word of God. Uh, people think that everything has to get in order and has to be in order all the time. Well... You women that have to keep house, it's good that you do that. My wife is a meticulous housekeeper, probably more than she should be. But does it always have to be just like that? Why not just sit down for an hour and, and meditate and read the Word of God or sing or do something that's good for your soul to lift you up? You know, uh, taking care of things can be very tedious, you know, and and like one lady said, you know the trouble with life is so everlastingly daily. And I do the same things over and over and over again. You get to be habit. They choke the word. They choke one's life. And they grow up with a person while they're in the church congregation. The carking worldly cares with the delusive hopes and promises of riches cause the man to abandon the great concerns of his soul and seek in their place what he shall eat, drink, and whither well shall he be clothed. Dreadful stupidity of man, thus to barter spiritual for temporal good, a heavenly inheritance for an earthly portion. The seed of the kingdom can never produce much fruit in any heart till the thorns and thistles of vicious affections and impure desires be plucked up by the roots and burned. You see, your spiritual life is far more important than your natural life. Because one of these days, your natural life is going to cease, but your soul is going to live forever somewhere. And so we ought to take care of the soul, first of all, more than anything else. Even to the neglect of the body, if that's the way it is. Because the soul is going to live forever. Jesus is coming back here one of these days, and He's going to call us to account for what we did about His Word. And if we sit around in the church and let everything else under the sun take away our soul, it gets choked out. That's what he's talking about. Dreadful stupidity, he said. It's true. Choked in the root even before the blade could show itself. Well, that's three people. Most of us must have found us by then, by now, wouldn't you think? Here's the fourth one, the good ground, verse 23. That which had depth of, of uh, mold would, was well plowed and well weeded. Is he that heareth who diligently attends the ministry of the word and understandeth it, it lays the subject to heart, deeply weighing its nature, design, and importance. You know, when you hear the gospel, when you hear the preaching of the word of God, or read it for yourself, it is the most important thing that will ever come into your life. 
Everything else is secondary in importance. The reason being that it is God's word, not anybody else's. And what God has to say to us and about us is the most important thing we ever better listen to. Who beareth also beareth fruit, his fruitfulness being an almost necess necessary consequence of thus laying the divine message to heart. Let it be observed that to hear, to understand, and to bring forth fruit are the three grand evidences of a genuine believer. He who does not hear the word of wisdom cannot understand what makes for his peace. You know, some people will avoid coming to meeting. They will avoid reading the Bible. They will avoid anything like that. And, of course, the devil has a part in that. But to avoid it because we may not understand it, to avoid it because it's a whole lot different than what's going on uh, is to deny oneself of the truth. You see, Christianity is truth, first of all. It's not merely a religion. It is God's truth. And that's what's important. And he who does not understand what the gospel requires him to be and to perform cannot bring forth fruit. And he who is not fruitful, very fruitful, cannot be a disciple of Christ. And he who is not Christ's disciple cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Getting back to some of these cares, and I think that's one thing that really gets a lot of people. It chokes it out. Let's go over here to... Um, Matthew 6 and 24. Jesus speaking, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life. That means don't worry about it. What you're going to eat, or what you shall drink, or yet for your body, what you shall put on, is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. And are you not much better than they... What do the birds have? They just, their whole life is just looking around for something to eat. A place to get under the tree. Which of you by taking thought or worrying could add one cupid to your statue? Add means you'd like to be taller. The average height of American man is five foot nine. Most men would like to be tall. You know, it's Feel good, feel big, look down at everybody else. <laughs> but what thinking about it isn't going to do any good. And why take your thought for raiment? Worry about what you're going to wear. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? God doesn't want us to worry about anything. I think worrying has killed a whole lot more people than work has. Uh, a man may work hard and live to be old, but a person who worries hard I, is going to find an early grave. And 75% they claim of the things you worry about never happen, that are going to happen. I mean the things, bad things that are going to happen. 
Therefore take no thought, that means don't worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. God knows that we need clothes and, and food and all that. He knows that. But he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Are any of you any worse off today for believing in Christ? Certainly not. Some of you went around like bums, dirty and disheveled and, and uh, wore the same clothes seven days a week till you could stand them up in the corner. You're a whole lot better off now than you were before. You're not suffering. You're, uh, you're so much better off now that you've got your right mind than, uh, than you were before. And that's what he's talking about. Seek the kingdom of God first. And get things, first things first in your life. And his righteousness and everything else is going to be added unto you. Otherwise, life is a drag. Uh, you're always going around trying to make ends meet and make things work out. And everything seems to be going wrong most of the time. And you feel like the fellow said nothing's going to turn out all right. And you're always struggling and straining at life. Well, when you get saved, you don't have to do that anymore. Because Jesus said, if you'll seek the kingdom first and his righteousness, he'll add all these things to you. And after all, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all they that dwell within. So God owns everything. Like the old uh, southern preacher said, God owns uh, the hills and the taters in the hills. That's the way he put it. See, he owns everything. He owns, in fact, back in the Old Testament, he said, all souls are mine. Well, every person's got a soul, so everybody belongs to God. And, but they're not saved. Not everybody is saved. This idea of the brotherhood of man, everybody is God's children. That isn't true. We are God's children by faith in Christ, and that's the only way we'll ever become God's children. Or we all belong to God, and someday God is going to do with us what he, what he said in His Word He was going to do. He's going to separate the sinners from the saints in the day of judgment. He's going to tell the saints, come into the kingdom. He's going to tell the sinners to go to hell. Because he prepared it for the devil and his angels. But because people refuse to believe his word and believe on his son, he's going to send them to hell. How do I know this? In the word he said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. People think that they can have Christianity and still commit sinning uh, and still commit sin. No, 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 that's not what the Bible teaches. A, a Christian is one who has been saved from his sins, not in them. That's the basic difference between God's church and every other church. Every person in God's church is saved. There are no sinners in it, and there are no saved out of it. And you can have a broader view of God's church of Christianity than that. Every saved person belongs to one church. Why? Because there is only one in the sight of God. Oh, we got 300 denominations. We got six or seven different kinds of Catholics. And we got all of that in the world today. But according to God's word, and that's what really matters, there's only one. We're not saying that we are it and, and, um, and we're sitting back here holier than thou. We are telling you what the church is and what it's not. So you can figure out what you should do about it. If we just said, well, we got more truth and we got more light and, and if you don't do something about it, uh, just 
go on your way. <laughs> We're not talking like that. That isn't right. Jesus understood that these Jews were hard-hearted and stubborn and blind and, and wicked people, but he continued to teach them the truth over and over and over again until they hated him so much, and that doesn't make any sense, but they did, that they got the Romans to kill him. You see, those were religious people that killed him. It wasn't necessarily governments. It was the religious people that got Jesus killed. And it's the church people that, that hate this message more than anybody else. So take therefore no thought for the morrow. That's tomorrow. Oh, what am I going to do tomorrow? What am I going to wear tomorrow? What am I going to eat tomorrow? i got to get ready for tomorrow. Oh, I can't sleep tonight because I've got to do something tomorrow. <laughs> said about you and I who are saved, he said, um, it is vain to stay up late and get up early and eat the bread of sorrows, he says, for the Lord giveth his beloved one sleep. So when you lay your pillow down, just lay your head on the pillow, just go to sleep. Be like the lady, when you start to worry, when you go to bed, fall asleep. <laughs> and everything will be alright, because God is watching over the night, and he'll bring the morrow. And sure enough, you wake up in the morning, the Lord hasn't come yet, so we got another day. The morrow shall take thought for the things of itself, sufficient unto the day are the evils thereof. We have a couple more verses and we're through, just one, one verse or two. Let's go over to uh, 1 Peter 5 and 7. I've quoted it earlier, but I'll read it. 1 Peter 5 and 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Isn't that wonderful? He isn't talking about Uncle Sam either. Uncle Sam doesn't really care. Uncle Sam cares about Uncle Sam. That's who he cares about. Just try not to pay your taxes sometime and you'll find out how Uncle Sam is. Another thing Jesus said in Matthew 11 and 28, or Peter said this and Jesus said it in Matthew 11 28. Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. See people labor under life's burdens. They don't have to. He said come to me and I'll take them off of you. And then Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conversation, and the word really means conduct, be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Oh, that's a great promise too, isn't it? And he can keep that too. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and we're through. Be careful for nothing, that is, don't be anxious for anything. That's what careful means here. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Remember we said prayer was the language of dependence? Sometimes people only pray when they get into <coughs> dire straits. And they cry out, oh God, oh, or something like that. But after that, when everything's all right, forget all about it. 
That isn't prayer at all. But he said, in everything, by prayer and supplication, make with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Tell God about it. I must tell Jesus, the songwriter said, and that's true. And what will be the result of that? And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There are no crazy saints. No one's going crazy that belongs to God. He would keep both our hearts. You know, out of the heart proceeds the issues of life. And whatever goes into our mind, we sort out and do. I heard an interesting thought about the mind. A psychiatrist who made studies of hundreds of people said that they didn't believe anybody was crazy. He said, because how can the mind... He said, what, what is the mind? Um, he says, your hand hurts, your head hurts, that's tangible, but what is your mind? So how can anybody go crazy when your mind is, you know, thoughts? Uh, then if you really want to get boggled, you can go along with a fellow who sat down with some others and said, what is thought? One fellow said, can you have a purple thought? Can you have a red thought, a white thought, red, white, and blue thought? What is thought anyway? All the things that come into your mind. And your mind is the gateway to your heart. You can think something, and then if you want to uh, agree with it in your heart, that's the agreement that takes place, and then you act it out in your life, and that produces your character. There are four kinds of people that receive the seed and word of God and there are four kinds of reaction to it. Is it true that only one out of four people really embrace the gospel? Well, there's not very many that embrace the message that we preach. The attitude of many people that come and hear the gospel in this place is, this place is too straight for me. Uh, they're talking about uh, a way of living that uh, I'm just not ready for. You ever hear people talk like that? I'm not ready for it. That's the common thing today. I'm not ready for that. Well, when will you be ready for it? Well, when I get old and I get ready to die, then I'll be ready to come to the Lord. And he's so loving and he's so gracious that, that he'll forgive me at that time and he'll let me in. So what about when death comes quickly and you haven't had time to think you haven't had time to do anything um, you're gone oh you say that isn't going to happen to me God isn't going to let that isn't he just look at the obituaries every day and you'll find out they belong to somebody's church they're going to have a funeral there okay. did the preacher tell them the truth did he tell them that they needed to get saved, become born again, ask God for forgiveness and have their life changed and, and stay with the people of God? Did he tell them that? Or did he just tell them little funny little stories? And say, oh, what a wonderful message this morning. You told so many funny little stories. Well, I'm one that isn't telling you any funny little stories because there isn't funny anything funny about this. This is very real. Four kinds of people. Which one? Are we this morning? Let's turn to 127 in the regular hymnals as we sing. 
<clears throat> song says be ready when he comes. We don't know when he's going to come, so we need to be ready all the time, don't we? Jesus said, watch and pray, for you'll know not the hour that the Son of Man cometh. And when Jesus said that, that was 1900 some years ago. Think of how much closer it is to his coming now than it was when he said it. And he says, be ready when he comes. 